Okay, so that's our series that begins today, and you might wonder, well, how did you decide what topics to do? And if you were here last weekend, you know that you had an opportunity to vote on what happened, and I'm not surprised that what happens in the afterlife, especially since I answer the, ask the question as well, what about my pet? Will my pet be in heaven? And so that came out number one, not the pets, but heaven itself and afterlife. So we're going to be talking about that, but you want to know what the other ones were? Where they came out, because you might be curious what's going to be coming up the coming week. You'll see on the screen here, uh, the survey results uh, came in that, uh, secondly, was what needs to happen before Jesus comes again. The third one, why does God allow terrible things to happen? You'll see on down there. So we're going to be digging into those. In fact, we have some of our staff are going to be doing some social media posts on the ones that came down, because you might go, if you don't address number eight, I'm never coming back to Grace Church or whichever one it is. And so, uh, so we're gonna try to address some of those, uh, if not in the service uh, and social media. So today, questions about death and the afterlife. This topic became personal uh, for us once again when Mary and I experienced the loss of her brother Andy this past Thursday. Andy was 52 years old. He died of cancer that went to his brain and Andy and his wife, Alette, um, have lived in, in Alabama with their two sons, Garrett and Hunter, 17, 19 years old. Mary and Andy share the same uh, dad and different moms. And so Andy, the last couple years, because of his declining health, they've been engaging online. Uh, he would ask Mary about like a piece of clothing she wore, make a comment about the message or whatever. And Alette, if you are watching today, and Garrett and Hunter, I want to say we love you. It was so good to be with you a couple weeks ago, and the way you've walked with your husband and dad has been remarkable. Uh, some of you have heard me at times, like I'll greet people in different places, and whenever I greet like a particular city, there's somebody there. Like I know like, okay, if someone has a family member in Greenville, South Carolina, or in you know another country, and one of them I've mentioned is Alabama, and that's been for my brother, uh, brother-in-law, Andy. So we experienced that loss this week, so as I'm preparing this, uh, just grateful again that Andy had told, even a couple weeks ago, when Mary and I visited him down in Alabama, and he said, you know, I, 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 the, I'm a little bit fearful of the process of death, and I said, I, I am too. Uh, but he said, but I, I know exactly where I'm going when I die, and I know I'm gonna be with Jesus, and I was so glad that Andy had made that decision to put his trust in, in Christ. And so I'm grateful today that we can talk about this, that death does not have the final word for followers of Jesus, right? That uh, our hearts ache, especially for letting her kids, but we grieve with hope, right? That you and I can say together to grief, grief, you are real, but you are not eternal, right? Grief is real today. We feel that many of you would go, man, I feel the ache in my, our, our one uh, son had a, a friend who died suddenly this week at the age of 31. We had another lady at Grace who passed away on Wednesday night. There's just, we, we encounter death and we say there's grief that's real, but grief, you are not eternal. Friends, here's what we can say. If, if what the Bible teaches about the afterlife is true, would you agree that there's really no greater topic for you and for me to consider? As I gently remind skeptics, I'll say, you know, if you don't believe what the Bible says about the afterlife, you should pray that you're not wrong, right? 
because think about this. If, if I believe that the Bible is accurate in what I teach is, and, and, if, and I do, and I find out that I'm wrong, I, I don't stand to lose much. Pascal's wager, if you're familiar with that. But if someone dismisses what the Bible says about the afterlife, and then they come to the end and they find out, they turn the page from this life to the next, and they find out that we're wrong, the loss is going to be devastating, right? Incalculable. And so there's no greater subject that warrants our attention because nothing in this life, this brief little existence that you and I have here can compare with life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And so I have a hunch that's why so many of Jesus' parables relate to eternity and he, he wanted us to be prepared. He loves us too much to not, if you know something's gonna happen and you, you say, I'm gonna tell a person that I love, right? If you don't tell them, you, you don't love them. And so he loves us too much not to tell us repeatedly about our forever after. So I want to do two things. First of all, we're going to look at what the Bible says about heaven. Then we're going to see what the Bible says about hell. And then we're going to answer some of the specific questions like what about burial versus cremation? What about your, your, your pets in heaven? Will you recognize you know, friends or your spouse, et cetera? So we'll, we'll delve into a couple of those, okay? So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians 1 is when Paul is coming just to the end of his life. And he writes this letter to some believers living in the country of Greece. If you don't have a paper Bible, you, the Bible app on your phone is fantastic. And the notes, if you didn't pick some in on the tables, or those of you engaging online, you just, just go to our homepage, gracema.org, and you'll see the bulletin online. Bulletin and the notes are right a part of that. While you're turning there, let me just say greetings to our friends at the Olmsted Falls campus, guys at Lorraine Correctional. So grateful that you were part of what uh, happened this past Easter. In fact, there are crosses in each of the lobbies uh, at our three campuses. And if you would like to, you know, if you put your trust in Jesus and say, I'd like to add my name to that, even if for you as years ago, feel free to do that. Uh, and, and to be able to say together, I, I'm rejoicing today because I know that my name is written in, in heaven. Uh, if you've taken that step and you're thinking of next steps, we mentioned lots of ways to grow. And I want to just invite all the guys. We're having a retreat at Beulah Beach uh, coming up May 6th. Uh, I get to be one of the speakers at that. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be all in as a follower of Jesus. And so welcome you to be a, a part of that. Love to see you on the shores of Lake Erie. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to read this little section here in the New Living Translation. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says in verse 20 of Philippians 1, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be what? Far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. My mom and dad on their headstone have Philippians 1 uh, on their headstone. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You hear what Paul is saying? Paul's saying heaven is going to be amazing. All, all of the broken parts of this world are going to be gone forever. And it's not only what's going to be gone, it's whatever the best things are in this life, 
heaven will far like surpass whatever you experience here. Paul says it's going to be better by far. It's going to be an adventure. It's, it's not going to be boring. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So we might ask, well, what exactly is my brother-in-law, Andy, experiencing today? Like if he's alive, what is he experiencing? What about a loved one that you know who's trusted Jesus and you're like, man, I can't wait to see him again. What is it like for them today? Well, Paul says it's better by far. Doesn't go into specific detail, but I want us to just read from the second last chapter of the Bible. If you want to turn there, you can, Revelation 21. In Revelation, uh, the Apostle John gets a revealing. It's like the curtains are pulled back and he gets a picture of what heaven's going to be like. And let me just give a couple of uh, summary points and because we have a lot to cover. Here's, here's number one. Heaven is all about perfect relationships with our Heavenly Father and with, and with his family. There's a phrase repeated a couple times here, and it's this, that God will be with us. Now, you might say, well, isn't he with us today? And he is, but there's something about it. It's going to be more like the Garden of Eden with us. That when it says they talked with him in the cool of the day, it's like you're going to have this relationship with Jesus that is better than you've ever experienced before. You'll talk with him. And it's going to be like an amazing family reunion where, you know, no one ever messes up. Uncle Bill doesn't, you're like, oh, I can't believe he just said that. There he goes again. It's never going to happen. You'll never be overlooked. No one's going to, there's not going to, no one's going to be gossiped about. No one loses their cool. The food's going to be amazing. It's, heaven is going to be the relationships with God. It says he's going to be with us and we're going to be with him. We're going to be with each other, with all who have trusted in Jesus something you can anticipate. It's going to be amazing. Because heaven is perfect, we know something else. It says, he goes on, it says, all of our suffering and pain will be gone forever. Heaven is amazing not only for what is there, but what's not there. He says a few things that are not going to be there. He says, there's going to be no more, would you read this aloud with me? He says, there's going to be no more what? No more death or mourning or crying or pain. If you deal with chronic pain, no more. Would you say those two words with me? Ready? No more. If you've mourned a strained relationship or you're, you're mourning a broken dream, no more. If you've shed tears over disappointment or a loss or some kind of unfulfilled longing, no more. If you've stood next to the casket of someone you dearly love and go, no more. Like, it's, there'll be no more death. We'll be together forever, and we'll go on and on forever, and ever. it's going to be absolutely amazing. How? All because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Friends, that he paid the greatest price, that when Jesus went to the cross, it says that he took the curse. Galatians 3 says he took the curse that happened in the Garden of Eden. He took that curse. It's like he swallowed it. He, he, he took the penalty for our sin so that you and I can be free from the curse. He basically reverse that, and he's beginning even now to restore all things, and one day he'll come again, and he's going to restore it perfectly. It's going to be amazing. And whatever is painful in this life or less than good will be no more. Something else, it's going to be a place marked by incredible beauty. There's a verse a little bit further down in Revelation 21 that says this. John is describing heaven. He says, it, it, like it's shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You almost get the sense that John is struggling to find the appropriate words to describe what he sees when he gets a peek into heaven. 
Think of a place that you've been in your life or that's on your bucket list and you've seen pictures and you're like, man, if, if heaven would be like that, I mean, that would be amazing. Heaven will be better than that. Better by far. Because I'm married to a beach person, I just automatically go, because Mary loves the beach, you know, I think of a wide sandy beach with like beautiful crystal blue, blue water, palm trees, you know, some mountains in the background, an ice cream truck like right here, like right. <laughs> it's gonna be phenomenal, right? Whatever you experience here, you can say this does not even compare to what heaven will be like. If we could get a peek, I think we'd be you know, of what John saw, the Apostle John, I think would be like the kids in the car. They're on their way to vacation. They just can't wait. They're like anticipating. And for the hundredth time from the backseat, you hear them say, are we almost there yet, right? There's this sense in which that's what John wants us to do. He wants us to be like, are, are we almost there yet? Are we almost there yet? Finally, we know that we won't get bored. Some of you maybe have had the sense, like when I was a teenager, I, I, I remember struggling to figure out, like, what are we actually going to do in heaven? Like, I had the fear it would be this never-ending never middle school orchestra concert <laughs> where, like, all the instruments were out of tune. And it sort of just went on and on, and you just were like, when is this going to be over? To anybody who plays in the orchestra, I really apologize for that. <laughs> what are we going to do in, in heaven? Heaven's referred to 600 times in the Bible. Here's what the very last chapter of the Bible says in Revelation 22. It says, Christ's servants will serve him, and they will reign like you're going to be leading forever and ever. What will that look like? I, I, I don't know, but because God's in charge, it's got to be good, right? I mean, it's just who he is. So serving him is going to be an adventure. He created laughter and curiosity and science and nature. We said a few weeks ago, we said that, we went to that verse from 1 Corinthians 10 where it says, so whether you eat, like you're having a meal with a friend at, you know, Red Lobster, or you drink, whatever kind of drink is your preference, it says you can do it all for the what? For the glory of God. We said anything you do is not just our singing worship. So that means this about heaven. If When we think, well, we're going to bring glory to God, so I guess we're just going to be worshiping like and singing the whole time. We will be, and we'll do that with amazing joy. But you can have a meal with the friend of the glory of God. You can go to a ball game for the glory of God. You can go to the Metro Parks for the glory of God. You can, go, you can do all kinds of things for the glory of God. And so I think we're going to be doing a lot of those things in heaven, right? Except it's going to be better by far. And so it's going to be this place that you just go, wow, like it, I have everything to anticipate and nothing to fear. Well, let's just hear briefly what the Bible says about hell. Uh, if you can turn with me back to Matthew chapter 25. Um, Jesus, as you've maybe heard me or somebody else say, he talks a lot about hell. And I want us to just remember why. I want us to see it against the backdrop of his compassion, that Jesus, when he talks about hell, he's not trying to beat people up with it. He's not like, you know, you can just sort of go to hell, all right? He, he didn't 
He wanted to keep people out of hell. That's the whole motivation that, that he's not saying, you know, if you're bad, that's where you... His goal is to, in fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, that God's desire is that how many people will come to know him? Everyone, all, all, all the people, right? And so that's his heart. So I think it's the reason why Jesus talks a fair bit on this topic. He's sort of making the point, folks, this is real. I want you to give attention to this. So what does he say about it? First, in, in Matthew 25, he, he, you'll see it in starting in verse 14. He talks about the parable of the talents, and, and at the end of that, look what he says in the very last verse, verse 30. He says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The people sobbing. Some of you grind your teeth at night, you're working out your stress. It's pretty rare, though, that people grind their teeth during the day. It has to be really awful. But he says that's what people are going to do. It's going to be like this sense of horror at what they've missed out on. If you drop down to verse 41, it's another parable. He's talking about the sheep and the goats, and it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. Some theologians say that hence that hell was not originally intended for people. It was prepared, it's Jesus says, for the devil and his angels that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell and opens the way for every single person, like it's inclusive. Every single person is invited to relationship with Jesus. But he keeps on telling us about this. Earlier in Matthew chapter 8, he tells us what it's like to experience an eternity without him. He says that they will be thrown outside into the darkness. You know, it's hard to know exactly what descriptions are literal and which ones are metaphorical, symbolic, I, I don't really know. A lot of people, like C.S. Lewis talks about relative pleasures, and, and we, we don't really know exactly when there's descriptive language. But what we can just say is this, that Jesus paints a really grim picture of what hell is going to be like. And he, he talks about it because he, he, he loves us enough to go, I, I don't want you to go there. Just one more description from Revelation, it says there is no rest day or night. You know, it's interesting, in heaven it says there's no nighttime. I'm not sure we'll ever sleep. Maybe if you love to sleep, you'll, you know, you'll be taking naps just because you love to do that. But, but it says that Jesus you know, lights up heaven, but in, in the place where God's presence is removed, there's darkness. And it's gonna be like when you're so tired, you think if I could just lie down and, and, and rest, and it's just, there'll be no rest. That's the ultimate fate for those whose names are not written in the book of life. So let's just say this again. Thank God that he's provided a way for every single person to know him, right? That's how much he loves us. He wants to spare anyone from a place where his goodness is removed. It's like Jesus invites all of us. We read this morning, we were reading in in our Bible reading as a church family in Luke chapter 15, and it was that great passage where this 
father, his son has walked away, you know, and it's, but it's not the final chapter for that son. And the son finally says he comes to his senses and he's like, what am I doing? And he comes back to his dad and his dad sees him off on the road, you know, way off in the distance. And what does his dad do? Like he runs. One translation says his heart was pounding and he embraces his son. There's, there's no criticism. There's, it's like there's a party. His, that's the father's love for everybody. And it's available even today. And so Jesus makes the point over and over. He's like, how you decide today determines where you'll spend your eternity. When we die, it's, it's not the end. I mean, it's what he makes really clear. And how we choose for him or against him or ignore him or whatever has such huge implications, which is why the verse at the top of your notes from Ecclesiastes, it says this, death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Uh, in other words, you need to contact, you can't just put it on the back burner and say, well, you know, someday when I'm 75, I'll begin to think, no, you just don't know, right? I do lots of funerals for people who are 30 and below. You just don't know, you don't know, he says. And, 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 and the other thing is the Bible said there's no second chances. When someone dies, we, we can't pray them into heaven. It says in Hebrews 9, it says, it's appointed for people to die once, and after that they face judgment. That's why Jesus comes back to this over and over again. He says in John 6, he says, this is just typical of what Jesus says. He says, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So if you're wondering, like, what do I do? Look to Jesus and believe in him. Just say, Jesus, I, I trust in you. When you died, you, you died for me. You took, you took my penalty, and Lord, I owe you my life. I'm not worthy, but you are. And so... I trust in you and I receive your grace. And when you do that, your name is written in heaven. You have everything to anticipate and nothing to fear. Before we close, let's talk about a few more questions that have been submitted. And uh, we're gonna cover a few real quickly like this, like what about cremation versus burial? Will there be pets in heaven, et cetera? And you'll see those. So let's just talk about the first one there for starts. What about cremation versus burial? The common practice in the Bible was burial, but it seems more descriptive than prescriptive. In other words, it tells us what happened. It doesn't really tell us this should always happen. It doesn't, there's not really a clear kind of indicator on that. So short answer, I think you can go either route. Some people would prefer burial because of a great resurrection passage, 1 Corinthians 15. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but it Paul is talking about our bodies, and he says they're planted sort of like seeds in the ground when you die, the idea of burial. And he says this, he says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, they will be raised in strength. The idea is that you plant a seed, and one day it's gonna sprout with wildly superior beauty at the resurrection and the, when the graves of, of everyone, like when the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God at the second coming of Jesus, and it says the dead in Christ will what? will rise first. That means if you and I are alive in the day that Jesus comes again, if you're near a cemetery, you're gonna be going, oh my goodness, right? All these bodies like reconstitute and put together, you're gonna go, Bill, Melissa, like I can't believe it. And it says, and you're gonna be with the Lord in the air and encourage each other with these words, it's gonna be amazing. Just like those seeds planted, he says, our bodies are gonna be raised 
and be fantastically new. Like you're gonna be the best version of yourself. You're gonna be bald, you're gonna be uh, just, uh, just teasing, no. I... There are practical considerations. Some would say for cremation uh, is less expensive. Um, you might live in a country like my brother and sister-in-law live in Japan and they're only 10% of the land is inhabitable, so real estate's at a premium, and so by law, you have to be cremated in Japan. And there are probably other countries like that as well. So at Grace, we have people who choose both routes, and the Bible doesn't really give much indication, even if there is that imagery of burial. Second, will there be pets in heaven? Well, we know that there will be animals in heaven, right? Uh, because they're part of God's good creation. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible begins in this way, and it says this. It says in Genesis 1, verse 25, God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was what? It was good. It was part of God's good creation. And, and then you read something like in Isaiah chapter 11 where it looks forward to the day when it says, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf with the lion. In other words, they won't consume each other, but they'll lie there together. It says the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw, you know, like the ox. And it's going to be, it's, it, these animals will get together. And then in Romans 8, it says that all creation groans today like there's something broken with creation, pollution or climate change or whatever, and looks forward to the day when Jesus will come and restore everything. All creation presumably includes what? The animals, right? Like it's, it's part of God's good creation. So what about your beloved dog or cat or goldfish? The Bible doesn't give a definitive word on this. I can tell you that one of our former neighbors, pretty sure their dog's not gonna be in heaven. I'm just saying, like, I, <laughs> I don't know. You know, unless there's some kind of miracle, the sanctification or something. You know who you are, too. <laughs> Seriously, though, a lot of you have a, a pet you look back on, you're like, oh my goodness, this pet was like everything to me. Don't you think it would just be like a good heavenly father to surprise you? You know, you arrive in heaven, you see all these people and you know, Moses and Mary and Ruth and Hannah, all these people are greeting you and other lost loved ones. And then you see some dog scamp around the corner and it's the dog you loved like when you were a kid. Billy Graham made a comment, I'm paraphrasing him here, he says something like this. He said, if, if heaven will be better because some pet that you loved will be there, he goes, then I, I believe that pet will be in heaven. You might have different desires and you're like, I think I'd really like to have an elephant. You know, I, uh, and uh, so God is a good God. If heaven is better because your pet will be there, I believe it will be. Next question, will I recognize my friends or spouse in heaven? Here's a note that came in on social media this week. Read all of those, by the way, and we'll answer whichever ones we can. Sarah, Sarah writes this. She says, hey there, uh, for the new series, I'd like to know if my husband and I will be together in heaven when we die because his aunt told us we will not be married in heaven and that we will be with our families Sounds like a controlling ant, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, if you're watching, I'm just joking. Sort of. Uh, 
but he is my family, and I don't think God would have such a sacrament as marriage for it to mean nothing in heaven. I would love to hear the church's thoughts on this. Sarah, that's a great question. What I can tell you is this, whatever it's gonna be in heaven, it's going to be incredibly better than what we could have ever imagined, right? So your aunt is probably referring to Jesus' words in Luke 20. She has a point when it says this, marriage, Jesus says, is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. Now that can make it sound like a relationship, almost a little bit weird, like it's gonna, like I'm gonna see Mary and go, hey, did we used to like, were we? <laughs> like at your high school reunion, like did we sit together in class or something? You know, your 40th? No, I think it's gonna be actually just the opposite, right? Whatever your best relationship is here, it's gonna just be better. Mary and I and Sarah, you and your husband, I think you're gonna have a, a far better relationship than you even do today, whether you're married or not. Remember what Paul says? He says, I long to, be with, to go and be with Christ, which would be far better. How much better? Say it with me, ready? Far better, far better. So whatever you have here, it's gonna be far better there. That's what we know. One more promise about heaven, Psalm 16 says this, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. You will what? Fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures. You might go, is there gonna be sex in heaven? Is there gonna be? What we know is that whatever is there is gonna be far better than what we have here. So there are some unanswered questions. But being filled with joy does not mean you have less joy than you knew in this world, but you're gonna have more joy than you knew in this life, right? So, I really believe that, that Mary and I, like our, uh, my relationship with you is gonna be amazing. Like we're gonna have like an amazing friendship. And my, same thing with my relationship with Mary. So there's really nothing to fear because God is not going to, it's not gonna be like, all right, keep your, <laughs> stay away from her, okay? It's gonna, be, it's gonna be great. It really is, better by far. Oh, and let me just say this. If you have a marriage today that you're like, I think my spouse is gonna be in heaven, but I have a pretty bad marriage right now. I think this is really good news for you because your marriage will be completely perfect, or I should say your, whatever it is with marriage, your relationship with that person will be perfect, right? You won't be remembering the pains of the past and, the, and, and if you're like, well, I was married to two different people or three different people, Jesus will figure all that out, right? That's what the Sadducees, that's why he responds to that one question. He's, they're like, what if this woman's married to seven different brothers? And, and Jesus just, the, the, just trust him. The relationships are gonna be phenomenal and, and you can have hope in him. I think we're out of time. Let me just say this about your bodies. Um, the question might come up, what happens like if, if I go to Woodvale Cemetery where my mom and dad are buried and a lot of other people at Grace, or maybe for you, you're at Sunset or one of the other places, wherever, wherever you live, and you say, well, are there bodies there? So what are they right now in heaven? Like it's just a soul. We don't, the Bible's not super clear, but Randy Elkhorn wrote a book on heaven. I have a couple extra copies. If you want a copy, just see me, but uh, after the service. But he, he, said, he said, I believe that we have a temporary body and then, 
someday when, and we'll be in a, in, a, in a present heaven, but someday when Jesus comes again, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and your body's gonna be resurrected and it's gonna be amazing. And so in the temporary time, you'll have some kind of present, like you won't just be a ghost. I, really, I, I agree with him. I think to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but you'll have a frame. And just like Moses and Elijah, when they appear with Jesus, the, the disciples recognize them and maybe from pictures have been drawn or whatever it was, but they had real bodies and I think we will as well. And then the day Jesus comes again, new heaven, new earth, might even be a restored planet, some people think that, and, uh, and you'll live a body that you'll, you'll love. But here's the big question, and, and I close with this. Do you know for sure where you'll be one minute after you die? Because that's the question that we all want to ponder. And what I love is how it says in 1 John chapter 5, it says, these things are written, these scriptures are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not guess, not I think I might be better than my next door neighbor or whatever. That's not gonna do it. But have you put your trust in Jesus and if you have, you can know that you have eternal life. If you're not really sure, Stop by our welcome desk at any of our campuses and get one of the steps to peace with God. Give us a call, talk to a friend, whatever it may be. But here's what you can know. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus and you say, Lord, I surrender to you, you can know for sure that heaven will be your ultimate home and you have nothing to fear and everything to anticipate. We have a great Savior. Let me pray and let's thank him together. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you won the victory with death. You conquered, Lord, the enemy of our souls. You paid the price for all the, our regrets and shame. And Lord, you've secured a place for us in heaven. Lord, what a gift is ours. And so you said, Jesus, that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs, far outweighs anything we experience here. So I pray for the Hatfield family and for the Mayoshis and for the Yetmans and those are just three, Lord, this week and there's many more here listening who say, I, I have a name to add. Lord, I thank you for the confidence you, you give us. We look forward to the day when you welcome us home. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. We love and trust you today. And everyone said, amen.